For those of you who haven't been here, I started teaching last night about how to deal with temptation. We taught some from um, Mark chapter, I mean uh, Matthew chapter four, Luke chapter four, and we started talking about the temptation of Jesus. But primarily, what I was saying last night is that Jesus didn't just come into this temptation cold. It's not like he just started seeking God right then. I taught last night that you have to prepare your heart to be able to win at temptation. And this is where most people miss it is in the preparation stage. It's like going out and running a race. You might be motivated and you might be very pumped and excited, but if you haven't trained, you're going to lose the race. And most people don't prepare for temptation. I've got a tape set out there entitled How to Prepare Your Heart. Three tapes that teach on this one subject. But it says in 2 Chronicles 12, 14 that Rehoboam did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. And this is where most people are missing it. They are just going their way. And the time that most people pray and seek the Lord is when they're in trouble and their back is against the wall. And of course, it's good to seek the Lord then, but really in most cases, it's too late. You need to prepare in advance. And you can build up so much momentum with your heart set on God that you don't know how to disbelieve God. You don't know how to just turn and, and walk away from the Lord. It would literally take a long period of time for you to slow down enough to make a U-turn and head in the other direction. Man, that was a great teaching. And then last night, I mean this morning, I taught about from Matthew chapter 4 that the real temptation of Jesus was not to turn the stone into bread and to cast himself off the pinnacle of the temple and to fall down and worship Satan, although those were the physical things that Satan presented to him. But the real temptation was for Jesus to doubt that he was the Son of God. Two out of the three temptations began with, if you are the Son of God. And I used Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 that says, we have not a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Jesus was never tempted with, uh, you know, modern movies and dope and things like that and traffic jams and getting upset, none of these things. But Jesus was tempted at the root level. Most people are looking at the things that Satan is doing and thinking that, uh, you know, going on dope is a temptation and they're trying to overcome it. But actually that is just a manifestation of something way on down the line. I don't know if you understand that. If you missed what I was talking about this morning, I tried to explain this in greater detail. But really, every problem that we have just comes because we aren't believing in Jesus. We aren't trusting in the Lord. And that's the root of all sin. Let me show you another passage of Scripture that goes along with this, and then we'll go into our next point. But look over in Genesis chapter 3. This is the temptation of Adam and Eve. And uh, one of the points that I, I made this morning... Out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And one of the points that I was making is, you've got to get out of this idea of thinking that your situation is unique. It's not unique. Nobody in here has been tempted with a unique temptation. You might have a unique situation, but if the bottom line of that temptation is the same. Otherwise, Jesus could not have been tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. There aren't unique temptations. And one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight, there's really only three areas that Satan can tempt you in. But here you can see in the temptation of Adam and Eve the same thing 
that he was hitting Jesus with. In verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Let me ask you this. Why did the devil choose a serpent that was more subtle instead of choosing a mammoth or choosing a lion or a tiger or a bear or some type of animal that could come and overpower them and force them? See, if you listen to most people today, most people are saying, well, the devil is just so strong. He's so powerful. The devil made me do this. And that's an attitude that people have. Satan can't do anything. Satan couldn't force Adam and Eve into sin. He had to come to them through the most subtle. That means the most cunning, crafty, sly, deceitful animal. Satan doesn't have any power. He didn't have any power against Adam and Eve. He has zero power against us. Satan's only weapon is deception. He comes to us and lies to us. And if we buy into his lies, we are the ones that empower him. We are the ones that give him the control. Satan didn't come through a line and try and force them or put a mammoth's foot on their head and say, serve me or else. But he came through a serpent and deceived them. And how did he deceive them? The first thing he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The source of all truth is God. God's word is truth. And before he could get Adam and Eve into sin, he had to first of all get them to doubt what God had said. Man, that's a great message in itself. I'm going to preach that tomorrow morning. You need to come back tomorrow morning. And then the second thing in verse 2, it says, The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You know what Satan was saying? He was saying, You don't know who you are. You don't know that you're missing out. God, There is so much more. God is keeping things from you. And he says, If you'll eat of this tree, then you'll be like God. Now let me ask you, when were they more like God? Before or after they ate? When they ate, they ceased to be like God. The truth was they were created in the image of God. They were unique from the rest of the creation. You know, an animal has a soul in the sense that it has a mind and emotions and it feels things, but it doesn't have a spirit. It wasn't created in the image of God. We are unique. We were literally God-like People. We were created in His image. And the bottom line of this temptation is Adam and Eve didn't know who they were. A talking snake made people living in perfection with everything around them absolutely perfect, dissatisfied with perfection, thinking there's got to be more. They didn't know who they were and what they had. Now, if that can be true of people who are living in perfection, how much more people who are living in imperfection and have suffered and have had pain and heartache in their life and things like this. Satan comes to you and if you don't have a a firm understanding of who you are and what God has done in your life, Satan will tempt you that there's got to be more and you'll get bored with God and bored with what God has done because you don't know what you have. Adam and Eve didn't know what they had. They didn't know who they were. That was a temptation. 
And that's what I was trying to share with Jesus. Satan came to him and two out of the three temptations says, If you be the Son of God. Satan is tempting you because we don't know who we are. We need to establish an identity that, you know what, I'm not this old person over here anymore. I'm not a liar. I'm not a thief. I'm not an adulterer. That is not who I am. I'm a brand new person. And if you get that identity changed, then as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you'll see yourself a new creature, you'll begin to live like a new creature. But most people do not have a revelation of who they are in Christ. Man, that is awesome. I'd like to preach that all over again, but I'm not going to. That's what I talked about this morning. You need to get the tapes. Look over in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. In verse 15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Look at that verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Notice it says three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Jesus was tempted with three temptations, which equal the lust of the flesh, turn this stone into bread, the lust of the eyes, taking him up into a mountain and showing him all of the kingdoms of the world and all of the glory and look what you could have, all of these things that you crave and desire, that was the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life. Throw yourself off a pinnacle of the temple. And you know that when he took him to the temple, there had to be lots of people. There's always lots of people in Jerusalem. And throw yourself off the pinnacle of this temple and let them see the angels of God catching you and demonstrate how powerful you are so that people could admire you and look at you, the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, with that scripture we just read over here about the temptation. Look at this in verse 6. It says, And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to desire to, be make, to make one wise. That's the pride of life. The point that I'm getting across is that, you know what, you're really only tempted in just three areas. Here's, here's something that most people have missed. We have given the devil way too much credit. We think that the devil is omnipresent. Some of you may not have termed it that way, but I bet you every one of you in here have said, well, the devil was say, saying this to me and the devil's trying to get me to do this, as if you have your own personal devil. There's only one devil. And as far as I can see in Scripture, he is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. Most of us have not personally run into the devil. And, well, you say, well, it may not be the devil, but it's demons. It's his demons that he's sent for. Well, stop and think about this. As far as I can see in Scripture, devils don't procreate. They don't have little baby devils. Which means that either when Adam and Eve were on the earth, if there are now nearly six billion people and if a demon is affecting every single person on the face of the earth, then there was a lot of demons when there was just Adam and Eve here on the earth. Or there's a shortage of demons now. I don't believe that everybody does have a personal demon. 
Now, I believe that they exist, and I believe that they do exert control, but you know what? Most of what the devil does is he teaches you the wrong things. It's lies, it's deceptions, and he's taught you so wrong that basically all of the demons are on vacation, and we're doing a wonderful job of destroying our own life. He teaches you how to be afraid of everything, and through fear, you just stay up and worry, and you get sick, and he causes problems. And the truth is, we can't blame everything on the devil. Most of it is just us with our stinking thinking, and we're destroying our own life. So, most people think that Satan is just limitless in what he's able to do. Satan can only tempt you with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's all he can tempt you with. He threw everything he had at Jesus, three temptations... And it says over here in the book of uh, Luke chapter 4, it says he had ended all of the temptation. He departed from him for a season. The way it's stated is he threw everything he had at him and there was nothing left. Jesus was still standing and Satan had to leave. Satan can't tempt you in all of these different ways. It's just real simple the way the devil tempts you. He just wraps it up in a different box, different wrapper, different bow, and makes you think it's different. But all it is is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And, and to bring that down into modern terminology, I'm sure you could be more specific than this, but to just simplify it, basically, Satan is just tempting you through selfishness is all it is. The lust of your flesh. It's about satisfying your flesh. It's about your eyes. I see this. I want it. The pride of life. How come nobody's doing this to me? What about my rights? Any temptation, any sin that you want to categorize could basically fall into one of those areas and you could just term it selfishness. Did you know if Adam and Eve had not been concerned about themselves... Satan's temptation wouldn't have had any power over them. If they hadn't have thought about, well, maybe it's true that God is keeping something from me. What about me? I've got greater potential. If they hadn't have become self-aware, if they would have just said, well, you know what? It really doesn't matter about me if what you're saying is true. And God has kept me from doing something. Well, then he must have a reason for it. I love God more than I love myself. This temptation would have never come to pass. You would never sin if it wasn't for your love for yourself. Man, that was quiet. <laughs> Most of us are thinking, oh, you don't understand. It's that woman that God gave me that's the problem. That's what Adam did. He tried to pass the buck. And ever since then, we've been coming up with excuses and saying it's this person and you don't understand my boss is what's making my life miserable. Or it's this and it's that. And we've got excuses. And if you can't find anybody in your immediate area to blame, just blame it on your dysfunctional family that I was raised wrong. All of us had a dysfunctional family. It just depends on how you define it. I heard a man one time who committed triple murder and was blaming it on the fact that when he was four years old, his parents wouldn't let him have a birthday cake. And it, he was hurt. And because of that, that justified murder and rape. That's wrong. You can't blame you on something else. Our society is trying to say the reason you're a jerk is because you were raised this way and because this happened to you. No, the reason you're a jerk is because you chose to be a jerk. You can't blame it on anybody else. 
Your responsibility for yourself ends at the end of your nose. You are responsible for what happens. A few of you like that, but there's a lot of you in here that don't like this. Because you know what? It takes away all of your excuses. But you know what? It's not what other people do to you that makes you the way you are. It's your selfishness that causes you to be the way you are. Let me share a passage of scripture with you out of Proverbs chapter 13. And you might want to look this up in your Bible or you wouldn't believe this is scripture. This is one powerful scripture. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. I don't know what I said, but here's where it is. Proverbs 13, 10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Only. You know what this means in the Hebrew? Only. It means that there isn't any other way that contention or strife, if you turned over to 17.4, it says the beginning of strife as is as when one lets out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. Contention is just the beginning of strife. So you could say strife, anger, only comes through pride. Only. It's not a leading cause. It's not a major cause. For people with type A personalities, it's not the cause. This is the only reason anybody gets mad is because of pride. And I know some of you say, that isn't so. It is so. That's what the Bible says. I preached this in Pueblo, Colorado, 15, 20 years ago. And I had a little... Mexican guy come up to me and he says, look, I really appreciate your ministry. I receive. And he says, I got a lot of good, but he says, I just can't understand what you're saying. He says, if anything, I don't, I'm not a proud, arrogant person. He says, I've got such low self-esteem. I think I'm just the scum of the earth. I can't do anything right. And he says, yet I'm a very, very angry person. And he says, I just can't relate to what you're saying, that only by pride comes contention. Well, the reason that some people have trouble is because we define pride as just arrogance. That's only one manifestation. It's just like a stick. If I had a stick up here, there's two ends to it, and the ends are pointing in opposite directions. One end of the pride stick is arrogance. But you know, the same stick, the same thing is low self-esteem. People who are timid and shy are super prideful people. And some of them, well, how dare you say that? I can say it with authority because I was a shy person and couldn't look at a person in the face. And I can tell you what I was thinking. It was all about me. It was when I met somebody, I was thinking about Oh man, am I going to say something wrong? Am I going to do something bad? Am I going to stick my foot in my mouth? And I was so embarrassed and worried about me making a mistake that I couldn't look at a person. I wouldn't open up. I wouldn't share things. That was selfish. It was all thinking about me. There are some of you in here tonight that you've been saved miraculously. You've come from miraculous uh, background. God, you are a trophy of God's grace. Some of you have been miraculously healed. Your marriage has been put together. God has done great things in your life. 
And yet, if I was to ask you to come up here and stand in front of five or six hundred people and share it, you instantly would clam up and you would blame it on, well, I'm just a, a shy person. I'm a timid person. I, you know what it really is? You're so worried about yourself and whether you're going to make a mistake that you would rather let a person die and go to hell, a person be sick, a person suffer, than you suffer embarrassment. It's all selfishness. Timidness, shyness is major selfishness. Which is pride. Pride isn't just thinking you're better than everybody else. Pride is just being selfish. And if you think I'm better than everybody else, that's pride. But if you think I'm worse than everybody else, I don't ever do anything right. That's pride. Pride is just being selfish. Just thinking about yourself all of the time. That's pride. That's the pride of life. And you cannot sin if you aren't selfish. If you stop and think about it, everything that you could class as sin, all has to involve you being selfish. Did you know that fear, you couldn't operate in fear if you weren't in love with yourself and just thinking about yourself. If you're like the Apostle Paul, where he says over in Philippians chapter 1, he says, man, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have such a desire to depart and to be with the Lord that I want to just leave and go to be with the Lord. But yet I know it's more needful for you that I stay here, so I'm going to stay for your sake. Now, if a person really is so in love with God that you just want to be with God and it's all about God, how do you intimidate a person like that? They would take Paul and they'd shut him up in prison and he'd just go to worshiping God and loving God. And he didn't worship God just so he could get out of prison because when the earthquake came and the chains fell off and the stocks were released, he didn't leave. He stayed there because he was... Here's an amazing radical thought. He wasn't praising God just to get free. He was praising God because he really loved God. And when he got free... He didn't leave because he was just as happy in the stocks and in the dungeon as he was on the outside. Most of us are so self-centered, we can't relate to that. But he didn't just praise God to get free. He just loved God and he got to loving God. So you put him in the prison, he worships God and an earthquake comes. Everybody gets set free. The jailer gets saved and he's you. So then they say, we're going to kill you. And he says, oh, wonderful. And just kisses them, amen. Oh, I have a longing to go to be with... Well, if, you're, if you like to be killed, then we'll just set you free. Wonderful. I'll go preach the gospel. <laughs> you know, really, we're pretty hypocritical in a lot of things. We profess, we sing about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. Oh, God, it's so awesome. And then the doctor tells you you're going there and you start crying. <laughs> If we really believe what we said, if you weren't just thinking about yourself, if you loved God and you were so excited about God, when the doctor tells you you're going to die, you just reach up and kiss him. Amen. Awesome news. And then he says, well, you could live. Well, that's great too. I'll get to use a testimony and glorify God. Did you know you can't be depressed without being selfish? All depression 
is rooted in, in selfishness. One of the proofs of that is, you know, one way you can overcome uh, depression is go someplace where other people are worse off than you. And you'll come back thinking, oh man, it wasn't so bad. I'm really blessed. <laughs> you know why? Because you're just got blinders on. All you can see is what's happened to you and you aren't relating and recognizing that, you know what, you've really got it pretty good. You're just selfish. You can't be depressed without being selfish. If you took a corpse, and if a corpse was laying here in front of me, I could spit on the corpse, kick the corpse, ignore the corpse, insult the corpse. And if it's dead, it won't respond. You know why you respond when somebody says something, when somebody ignores you, when somebody pulls in front of you in traffic, when this happens? It's because you're so selfish. Hey, look what they did to me. We don't think about other people. You know, when people pull in front of you in traffic, have you ever thought that maybe they came from the doctor and the doctor just told them they're going to die and maybe that's the reason they didn't turn their blinker on? Is it possible that they had something bigger than you to think about and that they just made a mistake? If you were to think about why people do what they do, maybe they just came from the morgue and their husband of 50 years or their wife has just died and they... We're overwhelmed with grief. If you knew that, would you feel the same way about them when they cut you off? If you saw it from their side, all of a sudden you'd begin to say, you know what, they've had a rough day. Man, they don't need me to honk at them or to get get mad at them and do all these kind of things. But the truth is most of us don't ever think about the other person and what they're doing. All we're thinking about is, look what they did to me. Selfishness. Selfishness has to be, it's like a landing zone, a beachhead. Satan can have no foothold in your life without you being a selfish person. And specifically, this verse is saying, only, only by pride comes contention. Do you know the only thing that makes you angry isn't what people do to you, but it's your selfishness on the inside that makes you angry. I know some of you are still struggling with this and saying, but wait, I'm a type A personality. It's the way I was born. Not so. It's not so. God didn't create you to be a jerk. You have made yourself one. And you might have been influenced, but it's your choices. It's your decisions. God never made you to be that way. Selfishness just makes people angry. There are some of you that are angry right now and mad at me because I'm saying it's your fault instead of somebody else's fault. And the only reason you feel that way is because you love yourself so much. But you need to recognize that that is really the root of all of these things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's all about self. Most of us live our life like a vacuum cleaner, just sucking the life out of everybody and everything and sucking everything towards us. We go get the high school prom queen or the captain of the football team, not because we want to give to them and bless them, but we see them as a way to us to walk down the street and people look and say, oh, look who they've got. Boy, how lucky are they. It's the pride of life. We want people to envy us and we just suck all of the life out of them. And then when they get a little older and they get to chest or drawers disease, (laughs) where your chest is done dropped down into your drawers. (laughs) 
Or you get that Dunlop disease where your belly's Dunlopped over your belt buckle. Or, and then all of a sudden we say, well, the love is gone. I just don't feel it. You never did love them. All you did was lust for them and use them to bless you. And the mo- it's just like you stick a straw in one of these sodas and you suck it until you hear the... And as soon as you reach the end, throw that away and go get another one. And so you divorce them. Go get you somebody else that you can drain for a while. Amen or oh me. Thinking that it's them that's the problem. And then you get in a new marriage and you got the same problems. And you wonder, how could this happen? It's because you were there. (laughs) It's because you were the problem all along. The problem wasn't them. You might as well just stick it out with the one you got and learn how to love them the way that God loves them. Pride isn't just arrogance. Pride is just self-centeredness, thinking you're the center of the universe. It's all about me, the me generation. If it feels good, do it. Forget everybody else. Selfishness. You know, we've got the most advantage of any generation that ever lived. We've got more tools to help us. We've got cars. We've got things that are convenience. We've got vacuum cleaners. We've got all of these things. We've got so many conveniences. You think we should be better off, and yet people are more depressed, more miserable. They're on more drugs. People aren't as happy as they used to be 50 years ago when they didn't have as much. Self is like a drug addiction. It cannot be satisfied. It has to be denied. And if you are trying to satisfy and just thinking a new this, a new that, a new husband, a new wife, a new car, a new house, and I'll be satisfied, that you'll never satisfy it. Self cannot be satisfied. And you need to get rid of just thinking. I know most of you don't see yourself as a selfish person. But you know what? We were all born selfish. Every one of us. When you were born, your mother had just been through labor, could have been 24 hours, terrible pain, all kinds of things, and yet you don't give a rip about anything. (laughs) Within hours of being born, you're crying and wanting everybody's attention and take care of me, feed me, change my diaper. You think you're the center of the universe. If you had a little tiny child in here, we got 600 people or whatever in this room, and you know what? A kid wouldn't give a rip. If it wanted something, it'd just... Throw a fit, scream, cry, mess up the whole service because after all, it doesn't matter about anybody else. What about me? We all came into this world selfish. And it's the job of a parent to get their child out of selfishness. But because most of us are selfish, we don't do what's best for the child. We do what's easiest on us at the moment. I bet you every one of you have seen somebody in the supermarket where a little kid wants something and goes to throw in a fit and I want this and the mother says, no, you can't have it. And the kid, I want it. And mom says, no, you can't have it. And then they just sit down and throw a fit and scream and cry. People start looking and you know what the selfish parent will do? They'll give them what they want to shut them up so that people won't look at them and think, look at your little brat. And rather than do what's best for the kid... They will do what's easiest on themselves. And in the process, they taught that child, they reinforced selfishness. Self can get what it wants if it is willing to throw a big enough fit. If you are willing to just throw a temper tantrum, self can be satisfied 
and you just reinforce selfishness. And most of us grew up it all being about us. Not learning what Jesus said. He says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's in losing your life that you find what life is all about. It's not about you. It's not about you getting your needs met. You aren't that important. Other people are important. You're supposed to esteem other people better than yourself. There's not very many people that have found the joy of giving, you know, doing something for somebody else and denying yourself. Most of us will take care of ourselves first and if, if there's anything left over when you're 100% satisfied and there's no way you're going to do without, then you might bless somebody else. But you are well going to take care of yourself before you do anything else. That's selfish. That's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And if you're indulging self in those areas, then I can guarantee you, you aren't going to have the ability to stand and resist all of these other temptations, the outward manifestations, if you've already indulged and lost the battle dealing with self. You've got to learn how to to deny yourself. Jesus said right before his uh, crucifixion, I believe it's John chapter 13, but anyway, somewhere around there, he says, the enemy's coming, Satan's coming, and he has nothing in me. Satan didn't have anything to play on in Jesus. He couldn't tempt him with, turn this stone into bread and satisfy your flesh, because he says, you know what? My flesh isn't the major thing. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He refused to put self above serving God. And then he took him up to the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down and show yourself, prove yourself, demonstrate so that everybody will be envious of you and see the great power. He says, it's not all about me. He says, it's not about me getting glory. He says, I came to glorify him. He says, well, I'll give you all of these things. And he showed him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says, that's not what I'm after. You know what? A person who isn't selfish can't be bought. You can't be tempted and drawn into these things. But brothers and sisters, the reason most of us are failing in this area of temptation and we're doing things is because we love ourselves more than we love God and more than we love other people. And if that's your attitude, you're just a time bomb waiting to explode. It's just just a matter of time until you fail. Selfishness is uh, the attitude of the devil. Satan said over in Isaiah chapter 14, Lucifer said, I will ascend unto the sides of the north. I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will be like the Most High God. You know what Satan's sin was? Pride. He wanted the glory that went for God to go to himself. And Satan is an egomaniac and he's infecting people with that. And that is the blight of humanity is the fact that we don't care about other people. We don't care about God. We don't love others. We love ourselves first and foremost. And that is the number one way that Satan draws us into all of these things. And we've been ignoring this and making excuses and saying it's because this person did this. And the reason I'm angry is because you've done this and this and this. No, the reason you're angry is because you love yourself so much that somebody rubbed you the wrong way and you don't give a rip about anybody but yourself and that's the reason you're angry. Only by pride comes contention. 
It's the only thing. It's not the leading thing. It's the only thing. If you didn't love yourself, if you thought more about the other person than you thought about yourself, you wouldn't be angry. Angry people are super selfish people. You know, I'm not the kind that ever had a violent temper. I get mad, but I internalize it. I pout and sulk. You know, my kids have never seen me get mad and lose my temper. But my brother, he was just the opposite. He's the kind that he came an inch or two of beating me to death a few times, amen. He nearly killed me a few times. I mean, I bled like a stuck hog many a times. And I remember my brother saying lots of times, after he had cooled down and after his anger would go down, he'd say, I'm sorry, if I'd have known what I was doing was hurting you, I wouldn't have done it. (laughs) And he was serious. You know what he was saying is? I didn't think about you. I didn't think about what I was doing to you. All I thought about was I was hurt. Something happened to me and I'm hurting you because look what you did to me. He didn't think about me. He didn't think about anybody else. If you're an angry person, you don't think about other people. You are selfish. You're just thinking about yourself. Amen or oh me. Look at this passage of scripture over in Numbers chapter 13. This is another one. You need to look in the Bible or you wouldn't believe this is in there. I believe it's Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. This was an interracial marriage. And because of an interracial marriage, his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, came against Moses and spoke against him. And in verse 2 it says, And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. They dis- they uh, despised him because he had an interracial marriage. And they thought, boy, that just disqualified you. You know what? God's also spoken to us. And they were going to take over and kick Moses out and take control of this thing. And it says, And the Lord heard it. And then in parentheses here in verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. What a statement. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. We don't know how many people were on the face of the earth, but when Moses led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, that was about 3 million people, and they were in the minority, so the Egyptians had to be more than 3 million, maybe 6 million, and then there was millions of people in the land of Israel and others. There's bound to have been at least 10, 20, 30 million people, whatever, on the face of the earth, and Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That is just some awesome statement. And you know what makes this even more powerful? Moses is the one that wrote this. Now see the way most of us think, if you're humble, you'd never know it. If you're humble, you just think you're the scum of the earth and you don't ever think about anything. In other words, we've defined pride as if you just go just a tiny bit above what you really are, that's arrogance, that's pride. But you can knock yourself as low as you want to. Just be hypocritical about it. Religion is masters at this. People will get up and say things like, well, 
I don't have a very good voice, but God said, just make a joyful noise. You all pray for me as I sing. And then they get up and you, they've had five years worth of opera training and everything else. And you know, all they're doing is just knocking themselves down so that they can get a backhanded compliment so that you'll come up and say, hey, you're really awesome. You shouldn't have said that. You've got a beautiful voice. It's hypocritical. They don't believe it. And, if, and to prove it, go up to them in the supermarket during the week and say, hey, you were right. You got a sorry voice. I think it's terrible. And see if they say yes, amen. It's just a religious kind. We've been told that you can knock yourself down. You can't knock yourself low enough. You've got to think bad of yourself. But true humility is just thinking about yourself, what God says, not going above it or below it. If God says you can go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead, and you say, oh, I'd never claim anything like that. I'm much too humble. Well, then you're arrogant because you're exalting your attitude above God's. A truly humble person is like Moses. You know, if I asked everybody in here to bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to pray and just ask God to show us who's the most humble person in this auditorium. And then, if it's you, we want you to stand up and say, it's me. (laughs) How many of you, if God told you you were the most humble person in here, you wouldn't stand up because what would everybody think about me? (laughs) If that's what you're thinking, then you aren't the most humble because, see, you're self-centered. You're thinking about yourself. A truly humble person doesn't care if you get exalted or debased. It just doesn't care. You don't care about yourself. Amen or oh me. Brothers and sisters, we've been raised in selfishness, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. It's all about me. Take care of me. And because of it, we're insensitive to other people. We've been raised in that culture. And you know what? That's what's making you angry. And that's what's causing you grief. The source of all grief is just selfishness. I've got a tape set out there entitled How to Deal with Grief. And not many people like it. Because one of the things I teach about is that you know what? Most people aren't grieving for the person who's died. They're grieving for themselves. I remember that we had an employee one time who built a pond in his backyard and his one-year-old daughter drowned in his pond. And we went to the uh, funeral home and we were there standing with him as people came through. And he wasn't going to have any kind of a service, but there was hundreds of people that came. So at the last moment, he asked me to get up and do a service. And I had zero time to prepare or to think about it. And I was thinking, God, what could I say to help these people? And as I'd stood there and people came by this little casket, people were saying, isn't it terrible? She'll never get her first birthday cake. She'll never know what it's like to have her first birthday. She'll never know what it's like to ride her first tricycle. She'll never have the joy of the first day of school. She'll never know what it's like to have a boyfriend and go through all of that and get married and have children. And they were just worrying about all of the things that she didn't have. And when I got up there, I basically, I said it in love. I was trying to be nice, but I said, you know what? We talk about that we're going to, you know, miss her first day of school and miss this. But she's with Jesus. There's nothing that this world can offer that is going to minister to her. I mean, her first birthday cake is nothing compared to being in heaven. 
It's nothing compared to all of this other stuff. And I said, it'll help if you just recognize that it's you that's going to miss her first birthday cake. It's you that's going to miss the first tricycle. It's you that's going to miss the first day of school. And it's not wrong that you miss it because you would like to see those things. But recognize that your sorrow and grief is because you are missing it. Not because this little girl's missing it. If the person that we say we're grieving over is with the Lord, then man, you got no reason to grieve for their sake. It's all about you. Jesus said basically the same thing in the 14th chapter of the book of John when he was getting ready to go back to the Father. He says, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I say I'm going to the Father. If the disciples would have loved Jesus more than they loved themselves, they would have said, well, we don't understand all of this, but I know one thing. If anybody was ever a godly man, it was Jesus. And Jesus is going to be with the Father that He talked about constantly. And we heard His audible voice out of heaven. And Jesus is finally going to be with His Father. And at least Jesus is finally going to get the respect and the honor that He was due and that He didn't get here. If they wouldn't have understood the crucifixion and the resurrection, they could have at least rejoiced that Jesus was going to be with His Father that He loved so much. If it was just them loving Him, they would have rejoiced is what Jesus said. But the reason they were sorrowful because they were thinking, man, if He gets killed, who's next? Are they coming after me? What about me? I gave up my fishing business. I gave up everything thinking that he was going to be the Messiah. What's going to happen to me? The reason for their grief was all about self. I tell you, I don't know how to get this across any better than what I'm doing. But if you were not to make yourself God... And if yourself isn't on the throne of your life, but instead you love God more than you love yourself, it would make you immune to most of the stuff that is depressing us and hurting us and causing us grief. You just wouldn't care. It's not that important. doesn't matter if you have five television sets or not. But there are some of you that because you didn't get this, you didn't get that, you're just depressed and you're discouraged and it's not important. It's all just about self. It's not going to change the world. It's not going to help other people. If you loved other people more than you loved yourself, it wouldn't take much to keep you content. Amen or oh me. Brothers and sisters, selfishness, this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these three areas... Adam and Eve had those temptations. They wanted to be like God. It was all about self. It was all about maybe God has kept something back from me. Well, what if He had? I don't believe He did. I believe that He, he created us and intended for us to live in uh, paradise and we were better off. But even if God had kept something from us, who cares? God and His wisdom knows better than we do. If you didn't love yourself and exalt your own wisdom above God's wisdom, that wouldn't have been a temptation. Any problem that you've got all comes back to the fact that you are so in love with yourself. If you aren't thinking about selfish things, you can't be tempted, you can't be angry, you can't be hurt, you can't be offended. You have to be selfish to have any of those things operate in your life. Fear only preys on selfishness, self-centeredness.
It depends on which side you're looking on. If you're looking at things from other people's perspective, did you know what? You'll just have compassion towards them. You'll have understanding. There will be kindness towards people. If you're looking at self-centeredness, then you're always going to be an angry, bitter, upset person because I guarantee you people are going to rub you the wrong way. Even in a marriage. You know, Jamie and I love each other. God put us together supernaturally. We were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. We've had a very blessed life compared to most people. But you know what? I'm not perfect. Jamie's not perfect. And if I was just self-centered, I guarantee you I'd be offended over this and over that. Jamie would be offended over things if she was just thinking about herself. It doesn't matter who you live with. Nobody's going to treat you as well as you would like to be treated. Not because they're mean and malicious, but just because they don't worship you the way you worship yourself. It's just going to happen. And if you'd look at it from the other person's perspective, things would change. You know, one time I was watching a television program, and in this television program they were trying to turn you against capital punishment. And um, I'm not excited about capital punishment. It's not something that I love, but I believe it's the right thing. I believe it's a deterrent. And I believe that uh, Genesis chapter 9 and other places prescribe it. I believe it's better than the alternative. So anyway, I believe in capital punishment. But I was watching this show and they were trying to turn you against it. And what they did was take a man who had committed rape and then murdered to cover up his rape. And they showed him in a prison cell. They went to black and white to make it more drab. They showed him sitting there with his hands on, you know, his, his, I mean, his uh, elbows on his knees and holding his head in his hands and just this sad look. They showed you his little drab cell and this morbid music and then they went down the hall and showed you the gas chamber or electric chair whatever it was that they used to kill people and they came back this morbid music and you know it just showed you how terrible the situation was and then they showed you his baby pictures and they showed these pictures of a little baby and they showed him as a little kid playing on a stick horse and playing cowboys and indians and these little toy guns and stuff and him just being innocent And you know, as I was looking at all of this and how sad his life was and where he came from, even though I believe in capital punishment, I was thinking, God, this is just terrible that we have to kill people regardless of what they've done. And I began to start thinking, is there another way? Is there some other way that we could deal with this? And while I was thinking about that and being swayed and moved over to this other position... The Lord just spoke to him and he says, what if you took the exact same people that are watching this program and showed them the girl that he raped and show her baby pictures and show her grow up playing with dolls and maybe she was a Christian and had plans for a wedding and all of these wonderful things and her whole life is in front of her and then some pervert comes into her life and rapes her and then doesn't even have enough integrity to face the music, but instead tries to kill her to cover up his crime. If you were to show the exact same people, the girl's baby pictures and all of these things, the same people who feel sorry looking at it from his side would turn into a vigilante committee and they'd want to lynch the guy from the highest tree. And the Lord just showed me it depends totally whose side of things you look on as to whether or not you get angry, as to whether or not you do things. Selfishness begets contention and strife. Only by pride comes contention. It's the only thing that causes it. 
If you are a self-centered, self-loving person, exalting yourself above anybody else, you are going to be a bitter, angry person, always ticked off about something because this world is a terminal experience. (laughs) You're just going to run into problems everywhere you turn. You can't control what's without. What you can, can do is control what's within. And you can run up a white flag and surrender and turn your life over and say, God, forgive me for making myself the center of the universe. God, forgive me for being number one. And I want to humble myself. You have to humble yourself. If God humbles you, it's not humility, it's humiliation. You can only humble yourself. It has to be voluntary. If you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. You need to start learning that there are people that are more important than you. It's not all about you and it's not about your rights. You need to lose your life. That's when you find what joy is all about. When you go to helping other people and live to bless somebody else more than you live to bless yourself, that's when you find out what true joy and happiness is all about. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Isn't that great? So every one of us were born in selfishness. We came into this world totally self-centered. We were supposed to be trained out of it, but we weren't. And you know, the problem is that we've got 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year old adult brats in here that are still throwing temper tantrums. You no longer fall on the floor. You just turn the cold soldier and don't talk to them until you punish them enough, until they've suffered enough. You just... You know, throw your, well, I'm, I'm not, that's an old Texas expression. But um, you just go through these little pouting parties and all of these things that you do to punish people. You get mad and yell at them. You divorce them and go get another. All you're doing is throwing an adult temp, temper tantrum. You know what? You need to humble yourself. And you just can't do this on your own. It takes a supernatural anointing from God. I believe that God is speaking here tonight and revealing truth, and He's touching some of you. And you know what? There is an anointing of God here that is revealing things to you. When I teach on this, it's always amazed me, but every time I teach on this, I give an invitation, and it's not unusual for 80 to 90% of the Spirit-filled Christians to stand and confess and say, I'm an adult brat. And I'm just amazed that people respond to such a tough invitation. But you know what? Most people honestly haven't heard this because our world is just saying, well, it's right for you to put yourself first. It's not right. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, I'm your example. He girded himself with a towel and he, our master, the one that created us, got down and washed his disciples' feet. And he says, I've given you an example that you should do as I've done. Today, it's not the importance of washing your feet, but it's this attitude of serving another person. If you're going to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to learn to be the servant of all. The way up in God's kingdom is down. It's by humbling yourself. And God's kingdom is exactly opposite the way that this world is. And we need to humble ourselves. You know, this man, James Irwin, I don't know how many of you knew him, but he was one of the astronauts that walked on the moon. And he lived in Colorado Springs and I met him and I've always been really excited about uh, the lunar landings because I was in Vietnam during all that and I didn't get to see any of it. And I missed all the 
coverage. And I, it's just like I missed that area of time. And so when I met this man who walked on the moon, I wanted to find out all of these details and ask him all of this stuff. And we swapped books and became friends. And he started telling me things about when they landed on the moon. And I was just telling him the technology. It must have been awesome. The way that they shot you up there and you landed on this exact spot that you had planned. He said, nope, that's not the way it was. He said, we blasted off and they threw the capsule towards the moon And then every 10 minutes for four and a half days, we had a course correction. And he said, sometimes when they gave that course correction, we were just a millionth of a second off and it wasn't anything. But he says, there's sometimes that we were going 90 degrees opposite to the moon. He says, the truth is that capsule went to the moon like this. (laughs) And then he says, there was a 500 mile long landing strip. And he said when they landed and got out, he was less than five feet from being outside of this 500-mile landing strip. He says we nearly missed a 500-mile long landing strip. And as he was relating these things to me, the Lord was speaking to me about this very thing that I'm talking about. And see, some people think when they hear a message like this, all right, God, I want to fix this problem, so I'm going to die to myself. I renounce self. I reject self in the name of Jesus. And you just expected to be perfect. And from now on, you'll never have another selfish thought. That's not the way it works. The only way I can truly get you delivered of self is kill you. As long as you're breathing, you are going to have a self and you don't You can't cast self out. You can't rebuke self. What you have to do is just make a course correction every 10 minutes the rest of your life. There may be some of you tonight saying, you know what, I'm going to accept this. And man, I'm going to start putting God and other people ahead of myself. And then you go out here and somebody gets the last tape set that you want. And you've got an opportunity for a course correction before you even get out of the building. And then before you get out of the parking lot, somebody's going to want to turn. And instead of you putting self first, you're going to let them go. And you're going to have an opportunity for that. Amen. You don't ever arrive. You just leave. But you know what? In, In the spiritual sense, there are some people that have never even blasted off and headed in that direction. There are some people that are thinking that loving yourself and well, what about me and who cares about you and I got to take care of myself. You think that that's right. And you've never even begun to start denying yourself. I tell you, here is a real simple piece of theology that will just change your life. There is only one God and you are not Him. <laughs> if you would just come to recognize you aren't God. And you don't need to be worshipped. It's not about you. So what if somebody doesn't treat you right? Who cares? Except you. You shouldn't be the center of the universe. If you would deny yourself and say, Father, it doesn't matter whether I get my way. What about the other person? Father, is there a way that I can bless them? Is there a way that I can help them? You know, I literally had a woman, that one of the very first employees that worked for me, she had a husband who died. She inherited three corporations. She walked into a daylight donut shop, and she was just overcome with grief for this situation. And a man walked up to her that had never seen her before, and he said, I'm God. 
And he told her what had happened. And he says, if you'll worship me, I'll solve all of your problems. So this woman worshiped him as God. And they got married. And she had two children by a previous marriage. And this guy made the children live in the basement. If they ever came out of the basement, he'd kill them. And the night that I met them, uh, he had tried to kill the two children because they were sneaking into the kitchen to get something to eat. And the cops had them separated on the lawn. And this man had tried to kill this woman's previous uh, children by a previous marriage, he had broken her neck and had poured hot grease over her once. And so that's when I met him. So the people brought him over to the house and they said, tell this woman she doesn't have to live with him. So I said, well, the scripture says if he's pleased to dwell with you, don't depart. I said, it doesn't sound like he's pleased to dwell with you, so you can depart if you want to. But that's the way I said it. And this woman says, so what are you saying? And I said, you can depart, you're free to depart, but you don't have to depart. And the people who brought her over said, no, don't tell her that. They were wanting her to leave this guy right away. And I said, you're free to depart, but I said, you don't have to. I said, it's just the devil in this guy that makes him the way he is. And she had been born again. And I said, now that you're born again, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And if you want to, you can see this marriage change. And this woman was just shocked. And so anyway, she came to work for me. And every day at work, I started talking to her. And basically, I was telling her the same thing. I said, you know why you're so upset? It's because you're thinking so much about yourself. And most people would think, that's terrible. This woman has every justification. And I t- again, I wouldn't tell her to ever put her kids at risk. But I, I was saying, you can stand and take your authority and you can protect yourself and those kids. And this woman started learning. Anyway, it's a long story, but she started thinking about why is this man the way he is? And it's a long story, but the Lord showed her he was born in Jamaica. He was dedicated to Satan. They killed chickens and spilt blood at his birth and dedicated him to Satan. And she saw that, you know what, he never really had a fair chance. And nobody's ever really loved him. He was raised in this stuff. And she started praying for him and loving him. And finally, she got him to go to a marriage counselor. They went into this marriage counselor who was a friend of mine. And uh, he asked the man his side of the story first. And the man said, well, she's broken my neck and she's poured hot grease over me and she's done this. And everything that he did, he accused her of. Now, let me ask you, how many of you women, if you were in a counseling session and your husband was lying about you that way, how many of you would have even let him get it out? Not many. And then if you had have let him finish, what would you have done when he says, all right, now tell me your side of the story? You know what this woman did? She told the counselor, she says, I used to think he was my problem, but I've come to realize that, you know what, it's me. I'm just as much a part of this problem as he is. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me and I've humbled myself and I believe God has changed me and I believe that God's going to work on him and that this marriage is going to make it. And the counselor told her, he says, you told the man, says, you divorce this woman. You don't have to live with anybody like this. And they walked out of that place and the man was trembling. And he says, why didn't you defend yourself and tell the truth? And she says, Jesus has already taken care of all of my hurt and pain and I was here to help you. And if running me down is going to help you, she says, that's fine with me. (laughs) Wasn't a lot of excitement about that. But you know what the results of that was? 
Within six months, that man was baptized in the Holy Ghost, saved, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then they started having trouble because he wanted to go to Raymond, become a preacher, and she didn't want to be a preacher's wife. <laughs> but you know what? That godly example, that man, he used to levitate tables, communicate with the dead. He would get, leave his body at night and scratch on the walls and bark at the moon and do things. He lost all of his power. He says, your God is greater than mine, and he moved out for six months. If you got to separate, let the unbeliever leave. And while he was gone, she got the kids out of the basement, got them going as a family, and then he got born again, came back together, and God put things together. I tell you, we just underestimate the power of a selfless life and letting God be the source. Most of us feel that we've got to protect ourselves and do it ourselves, but by doing that, we are actually tying the hands of God. God will defend you if you will defer to Him and let God be your source instead of you doing it. You don't have to promote yourself. And so if we had to humble ourselves, man, God will bless you and prosper you. Satan won't have an inroad into your life. The reason Jesus was able to overcome all of these temptations is because it wasn't about feeding Him. It wasn't about Him promoting Himself and glorifying Himself. He came not to do His own will, but the will of the Father's. He was an absolutely selfless man. God so loved you that He gave. Jesus went to the cross and didn't think about Himself. Hebrews chapter 12 says, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. You know what that means? He looked through eternity and saw you and me who were going to be saved and healed and delivered and set free because of His suffering. And He loved you more than He loved Himself. And He gave His life because He loved the world more than He loved Himself. And that's the reason He was able to endure hardship. You know why we aren't able to endure hardship? Because we love ourselves more than we love anybody or anything else. And it's all about us. And you're the only one that can deal with this. You have to humble yourself. You're the only one that can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Amen? So let me just ask. I know that there's some people in here tonight that God has spoken to you. And that you've seen this. And that you've begun to humble yourself. And you've asked God to really take control of your life. I'm asking you to be humble enough not to respond to this invitation. If God's already spoken to you, I'm not wanting you to stand up because all you've done, you've started, all you need is a course correction. But there are some people in here tonight who've never started, who you have been all wrapped up in yourself and you are an absolutely self-centered brat It's all about you and you've been blaming everybody else and blaming the color of your skin or blaming your economics or blaming this and blaming that and not putting the blame where it belongs. It's you that's the problem. And you know what? If you'd be willing to just say, God, forgive me. I'm humbling myself. And Lord, forgive me for being self-centered. And I've never dealt with this. And tonight I'd like to deal with it. I'm going to blast off and head in that direction. If you'd be humble enough to do that, I want you to just stand right where you are right now in front of all of these people while everybody's eyes are open and their head is up. I want you to stand right where you are.
I know somebody's thinking, oh, aren't you going to have us bow our head and close our eyes? Why? I'm talking about you denying self, humbling yourself, and I want everybody to bow their head so self wouldn't be embarrassed. Man, I want you to stand up while everybody's looking so you'll get the maximum humiliation out of this. You know what? I'm going to specifically pray this won't work for anybody who's seated. So if you're going to receive this, you've got to stand and humble yourself. Man, there's a bunch more people who just stood up, see? See, some of you are trying to bootleg this prayer. You're going to have to stand up and receive it. This is important. I can tell you exactly where the Lord started dealing with me on this, March the 23rd, 1968. And I haven't arrived, but I left. And I guarantee you, there was a blow done to my selfishness. And I'm still dealing with it. I hadn't gotten over it. You don't ever get delivered, but I can guarantee you, it has made a huge difference in my life just to start putting God and other people ahead of myself. And there are some of you in here tonight that you need to do that. There's some of you in here as mean as a snake. And you've been blaming everybody else and it's because of what other people have done. And tonight you need to accept the blame and say, you know what, it's my fault. I'm the way that I am because of my choices, because of my self-love. And you need to humble yourself. Praise God, there's others here. You need to stand. I still got people standing up everywhere. If you're going to stand up, stand up now. Why do you... Man, this is good for you. It's going to set you free. I promise you, it's going to help you. If you're going to receive this, just stand up right now. If you're wanting to do it, but you're worried what everybody else is saying, that's selfish. That's pride. Humble yourself. Just stand up and receive it. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. I tell you what, I want to encourage you. This is going to change your life. And it took a lot of uh, courage for you to stand and admit this. And if you really are meaning this from your heart, it's going to make a difference in your life. I really believe that. Boy, this is going to transform you. Father, we just thank you for all of these people that have stood. And Father, we thank you that tonight, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you've spoken unto them. And tonight they realize that, Father, they are just putting themselves ahead of you and your kingdom and other people. And Father, we thank you for the truth. Thank you for speaking this truth to us. We humble ourselves, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. And I believe that as these people have humbled themselves, you said if we humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you will exalt us. You'll bless us. You'll lift us up above all of these things that have been dominating and controlling our life. Father, I thank you for breaking bondages in people. And right now, Satan, you can't dominate and control any longer because we are submitting these selves unto Jesus and making Jesus Lord over our life. Father, we pray right now for the fire of God to fall from heaven and consume these sacrifices. Father, we're willing to change. We're willing to put you first, but we can't do it in ourselves. We need your supernatural power. So we just call on the fire of God to fall right now and consume these sacrifices. Father, consume these commitments that people are making right now. Father, help us 
to quit loving and serving ourselves and to put you first. And Father, I thank you. I believe that you want this more than we want it and that tonight you have begun something supernatural in these lives and that they'll never be the same because of it. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Awesome. Thank you, Jesus.